Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This season, prepare for every season with the Allbirds Mizzle Collection. These shoes were made for adventures in rain, shine, mist, or snow. Go to Allbirds.com and use code FRESHSOCKS for a free pair of socks with purchase. This is the Secret Library Podcast. I'm Caroline Donahue. As a lifelong book lover, I've been hanging out with books as long as I can remember. Here on the show, we're going inside the world of books and learning what's involved in going from brilliant idea to finished manuscript and what it takes to get it out in the world. You'll hear from authors, publishers, editors, and all kinds of professionals whose work brings you what you read every day. The Secret Library Podcast is sponsored by Muse Monthly, a subscription box for literature and tea lovers. Get a brand new novel custom paired with a full box or tin of tea on your doorstep every month. Visit musemonthly.com and use the code SECRET00, all one word in all caps, for 10% off your subscription. Welcome back to the Secret Library Podcast. Today, my guest is Krista Williams. She has great hair, two cats, and loves to make things. And most recently, she's been making books. She combines a love of stories, photography, craft, and finding beauty in the world as it is. She's available to help turn your photos and memories into one-of-a-kind, beautiful, treasured, handmade books that will honor your story for years to come. As hard as it is for her to ask, she'd love for you to check out her website at KristaAnnWilliams.com, which we will also have in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on, Krista. Thank you so much for having me. It's weird to hear your bio read as an introduction. <laughs> That's it is, okay. It's funny. You're just like, oh, I had one person on recently. Um, I feel like I've brought this up twice now in two different episodes, but it was so funny and I loved it so much that she was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> she's like, did you like how I was agreeing with my bio as you were reading it? <laughs> Whereas I'm a little like, oh, that's, this girl sounds like she might be a little full of herself. Jeez. I think that's a good bio. It's a good bio when you feel like, yeah, that's fancy. <laughs> good, good. Thanks. Plus, they all can't see it, but I can see it. And you were right about the hair. <laughs> At least I, it's pretty widely agreed upon, so I feel comfortable telling people. It is amazing. It's like mermaid <laughs> hair. That's what I, that's what I strive for. You're, you're doing it. You're winning. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Huh. So I, I also study photography. I feel like I've just done, I know we haven't talked about this, but, um, so I'm really pumped about the book as object in particular when you're dealing with photography. We've talked yes. mostly about books that have a lot of print and words in them, but we have not talked very much about books that are visual communication, I suppose. So let's start there. Like, what's special to you about books and photography and how they interact? I, I was thinking about this before I came on. I was like, am I, like, bamboozling this podcast a little bit? Because I'm I, my book topic is not, like, writing books. But you asked me to do it, so I guess it's okay. Uh, <laughs> We want all books on here. We're open to all books. Good, good. Yeah, so it's funny. I When I 
I went to Columbia College Chicago, which is like a pretty well-known school in the city of Chicago and kind of lesser known outside of the city. I know. Um, Well, that's awesome. That's a photo school, Um, though. That's a big photo school. It is. It really is. And so when I started there, the darkroom was still a thing. Like people still used a darkroom for photography. I'm so sad that they don't anymore. That's sort of why I'm not doing it as much anymore, because the darkroom was totally my happy place. Exactly. And there's something, it is very zen in the way that like, you can't speed up the the process of a darkroom. Like it has to take, you know, like you have to have the paper and the developer for this amount of time and fix it. And the whole thing is like, yeah, that was always very soothing to me. Um, And when I was in my second, the second foundations class, there is a color class. And our teacher, you're supposed to make a book in that class. And our teacher kind of said, if you really don't want to make a book, you don't have to. Like, you can just map prints if that's what you want to do. And I was like, I'm not making a book. That's not a serious way to present photographs. Like, I was not (laughs) having it. But then as I progressed in school and I learned more about how images interact Like, I think especially even in our culture, we're very focused on a single image and, like, the impact of that. But the more you get into photography, I think, at least for me, yeah, the more that became compelling is, like, what the narrative is of many images working together. And that also better reflected my work. Like, I was, I'm still not great at making one image that's, like, a definitive this is the picture that means the whole thing. And that's also just kind of not how I look at the world. I think it would be really hard to boil your whole approach down into one image. That's a, that's a high bar to set for yourself. (laughs) Well, yeah, but I think there's like a certain catchiness to that. You know, there's like, um, there are images that are really iconic and stand for, you know, a whole set of ideas or whatever. And that's really cool, but it just wasn't, yeah, just wasn't what I was doing. Um, And so then, like, the kind of that, my change in perception of images and the, like, darkroom going away and losing that tactile interaction with the photos changed my feeling about books. Yeah, and then by the time I was finishing school, I was in all of my art classes my last semester were related to bookmaking in some way (laughs) um so I just it's such a complex thing like there's so many there's like the style of the binding that has an impact on how you view the book there's the content of what's in the book and how those images are sequenced and how that makes you feel there's like the way that you put the cover on and how, and you know, what the cover looks like. And that creates an experience. And I already, I was, a, especially when I was young, I was a big reader. And so I already had that sort of sentimental attachment to, to books and like books as just like a precious thing. And so once I started, yeah, once I started to get into the idea that like a book could be an object and an art object, that was a pretty exciting prospect absolutely yeah and I think there was some something to do with it being at the end of my schooling because I think I 
in some ways felt really burnt out and thinking about photography so so critically all the time um but bookbinding was like new and fun and playful and I'm kind of a medium hopper as oh yeah I I know nothing about that at all (laughs) (laughs) right so so yeah I think there is I mean to me I've seen, I mean, you go, of course, and the, the definitive is like going to the photo show where all of the things are matted and they've got the black cafe frame and the whole thing. But mm-hmm. um, but to me, I, I would say I interact with books, I mean, with photographs even more inside of books. I mean, probably 25 to 30% of the books I own are art books, most of which are photography, because right. I just turned into a photo junkie. Because there's something so satisfying about looking through a collection that way, and that you can, it's almost like a little vacation. Um, yeah, it can be. Or it's, it's just like diving inside someone else's head, which is sort of the purpose of any book. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. My yeah. Mind. Well, and it's a different level of, of accessibility too, because not everybody can go to a, you know, photo show in, in New York or in Chicago or even a smaller city. Like, um. And books really, you know, they're a great medium to disseminate information before the internet, at least. <laughs> like, the internet's taken over everything. But I think people still respect the value of a book in a lot of ways. I think so, too. I mean, I think that, I don't know, there's something about the photo books. I, I'm most aware of them when I'm packing, if I ever move, because they are so heavy. Yeah. But but so worth it. It's like I pick them up and then they're very heavy and I have to put them in boxes and I think, Oh, I kind of want to look at this one again. And then of course you're moving. So you can't do that. But so how do you go about going from collection to book with your photographs? Well, to be perfectly honest, that is something that is always evolving and, um, and I'm always working on and I'm still always asking myself that question of like, what's the best way to do this? Um, And there is a certain level of like intuition that goes into it of just like, and I'm very, and I still am very tactile about it. Like I print out the, you know, the the photos that I think are going to be a part of whatever piece and I lay them all out and I move them around and I group them together um, just in kind of like a, I respond a lot to color and color palettes. Um, so I think that like, I think I, I think about the photos in terms of the way the colors flow together a lot. Um, and then, yeah. And then it's a matter of like, you do that one day and then you go back the next day and are like, well, this is terrible. Or like, this doesn't work. (laughs) Um, and then eventually I put it in, in, in InDesign and, um, look at it that way and then think more about the actual layout and like the white space and the grid. And those are the pieces that because I have a photo background, those are the pieces that I feel a little less comfortable with. So I definitely, my first books are all very like one photo per page. Um, and thinking a lot about the sequence and maybe sometimes there's a, a two-page spread. But, um, yeah, I'm getting more comfortable with many photos on a page and what that does, how that affects what the viewer thinks of each image and how 
different images work together. And then it's, you know, printing everything out um, and hoping that you don't ruin any prints <laughs> in the process. Oh, my God. It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the, that moment of like the $10 sheet of paper when it prints like a half a centimeter and then kicks the rest of it out because it's not in the mood. Right. What is right. that about? Why do they do that? I don't know. Um, I'm lucky. I've Well, you know, when I was in school, I didn't have a lot of printing issues. Like kids would come to class and be like, oh, I had this printer issue and I like never did. But then oh. once I decided to do it professionally, like suddenly every printer issue possible has plagued me. So this is, the, this is my issue with digital printing. And I know this is a slight sidebar, but I have to. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the two emotions with darkroom printing are like satisfaction, like some frustration and satisfaction. It's like, okay, because it feels like a made object. If you're printing right. the dark, like you're burning it in, you're dodging, you're doing the whole thing. And right. it's like, okay, if this isn't right, it's because it needs 20 seconds more on this highlight or whatever. Right. right. And then for anyone who doesn't print the darkroom, I'm sorry, because <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you, you print through a negative onto the paper and you add more light sometimes if a photo it's, it doesn't just, it's not all getting the same amount on one and sheet. And a negative is a plastic piece of yeah. Because <laughs> Some people don't even know that. Which is yeah. Weird. It's just a piece of, it's a strip of thing with different values on it and you print through it. So there is a certain amount of satisfaction when you get it right because it's like, oh, I did it. I got it. And mm -hmm. you probably need a massage afterwards. I mean, I had a photo <laughs> that needed like a 320-second burn once and my arm was like in a claw afterwards. Jeez. But with digital printing with photographs, I feel like the two emotions are rage and relief. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like rage when it doesn't do what you told it to do and relief when it just prints it out the way you wanted. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, in theory, the computer is so much more precise and so much easier. And it just is supposed to, you know, you do all the work in Photoshop, and it comes out that way and how convenient. Right. But in reality, it's like, you have to know all these other details about printing profiles and screen calibration and paper calibration. And yeah, all these other things and all of that stuff. And then sometimes the printer just like there's a glitch in the matrix. Right. Right. Or and the, it just doesn't do it. Yeah. Or like the heads get clogged and the ink splatters or you have to change your maintenance cartridge in the middle of something or oh. yeah. So for anyone who thinks that digital photography is a lot easier, <laughs> let's dispel that myth right now. It's, <laughs> it, it's, it's not harder or easier. I don't think I do think it just has different problems. Yeah, it does. I, I agree with that. And I think also because it because of the different problems, like people just don't print photos as much anymore, which I think is kind of a bummer. But that's true. Um, yeah, I, that's a different and that's I mean, part of why books are so exciting to me is like it gives this complete feeling to a set of images that I think otherwise we re like, especially you're not even printing, you just have all these digital files that are kind of in the ether. And maybe you look at that, like, I don't even feel like people look at their digital photos the way that they looked at printed photos. I agree. I think it's because it's so easy to take so many. Right. Because when I'm shooting with film, it's like, I have to be very conscious of how I'm framing it. Is this what I want? Did I check the light meter? Like, is all of this... Mm -hmm in place so you don't end up with as many images to go through right um so 
And when you're doing digital, it's like, oh, I can do, oh, do I like this? Do I like it a little bit more to the right? I like a little more to the left. So it feels like a much, um, a much more diluted collection in some ways. Yeah, it definitely can be. And I think it's like, it doesn't demand the decisiveness. And I think that that decisiveness is part of the artistic process. Like making a choice is what makes you know, the outcome of the work that you're trying to produce. So digital photography, in some ways, I think, makes it easy to not make choices. Or at least to not make them at the time that you're taking the photo. You make the choices further away from the point of making the image. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. I hadn't thought about that. But I think making a book is a way to bring back that decision process because you're not going to put every single image you've taken in the last year in a book. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then it's interesting too, because that can really show off the way that photography is so subjective and like the, the edit that you choose and the way that you sequence the photos, um, really influences how you feel about each image and that, you know, like, I don't think this myth still exists, but there definitely was at a time a myth that the, that photography was a truth capturing thing. Oh yeah. We're way past that. I hope. Yeah. <laughs> that it was effective. And I think books can really show that subjectivity off, but you know, like in within a narrative, I think you're also still, even if it's a visual narrative, you're still looking for kind of the capital T truth of, you know, the spirit of what the truth is. Um, and that can still be present in a subjective context. Oh, yeah, I could go on about the truth telling. <laughs> I'm What I'm loving right now in photography is people who are posting on Instagram, the image that they posted, and then what was going on just outside the frame. Have you seen uh, these? No, but that sounds amazing. Because, you know, it's like everybody thinks that everyone drinks coffee like looking down overhead and they've got like a nice manicure and they're lightly cupping their cup and there's like a a wispy flower off in the corner and you know because that's the shot you see but then I've seen a couple of people who are like doing real life and they pull up a little bit more and there's like Mm -hmm. their kids homework and like a squash banana peel and like you know the dog's leash hanging off the edge of the table so it's like Okay, yeah, photography does show what was in front of it, but it does, it's not telling the whole story. It's telling the story that you choose to right, put inside right. the frame. No, that's amazing. I have to, I'll have to look for that because that's exactly up my alley. That's what I, yeah, and I guess in some ways I object to photography that is selective in that way, that like only wants to show what's pretty. Because mm-hmm. um, I just think we don't, need more of that in our culture like we don't need more just pretty I mean in some I don't know it's like in some ways we do like we need to see beautiful things you know I love good design and I love looking at nice things but we don't need more images to compare ourselves to that are perfected to an unreasonable level I guess no I I agree (laughs) And that's where I think photography gets dangerous and like the, you know, some of the ways that it's used get questionable to me. Definitely. Cause we trust it and we shouldn't trust it the way that we do. 
Right, right. Yeah. It's like, even though we know it's a subjective thing, we do, we still have this, like, we immediately can attach to the reality of it, or what we think the reality of it is. Exactly. Yeah, we decide that it's real, and that our situation is less real, even though our situation is generally more real than any photograph we're looking at in a magazine or a book or anywhere else. Right, right. Yep. Yeah. So I'm curious about how, um, because I know you don't just make books of your own work, you make books of other people's work. So I'm curious about how you begin that process of working with somebody else to tell their story. Right. So that is, um, as I said, that too is still, that process is still evolving. Um, but it, it has a lot to do with the, it has a lot to do with the individual project and it has a lot to do with the individual person. Like some people have come to me with like a very fleshed out, like this is exactly what I want and I just can't execute it. Um, and luckily in that, you know, in those couple of cases, it's been really fun to execute. Like they had really good ideas. Um, it didn't feel, you know, boring or restrictive. That's lucky. Yeah, I know <laughs> it is. Cause it could really- be like, Ooh, <clears throat> um, that's that's great okay we'll do that right right yeah no yeah it's been super lucky but when it's when it's more of um I don't know I feel like in some ways that has been more of who I've gotten like they've had more they've had their ideas sort of fleshed out or you know like I did a wedding album for a friend and she I feel like she had the vague mood that she was after, but she wasn't going to be fascinated, like looking for the end sheet choices for two hours. Like I was. Um, and so she was, you know, decisive. And once I presented options, she was like, Oh, this is, you know, this is it. Like, that's definitely what I would want. Um, and that was pretty fun. And then, other than that, it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of listening to what the, you know, what the photos mean or what the event means to the person and then trying to interpret that into, you know, how I think about um, putting a book together. So, yeah, it's knowing what the important if it's for like a wedding album, it's knowing like what the important people are, you know, what the parts of the day that were most important to the couple balancing, you know, that's tricky in some ways because it's like balancing all these different family members and um, getting everybody in there equally represented and then finding the, you know, finding the photos that kind of fit the layout that you think you want. And then revision, you know, that it's just, you know, revisions and going back and thinking about, is there too much of this person? Is there not enough of this? Does this flow the way we want it to? Um, You know, like in terms of when there are multiple images on a page or single images, do the single images hold up? on their own or like, you know, did I just think it was really great? And that person is like, not that excited about it. So yeah, it's like a lot of, a lot of talking about every, about everything and a lot of talking about the strengths of the photos and how they interact with each other. 
Do you find that people um, mainly want a book for an event or are there projects that they want in terms of like a photographer doing a portfolio kind of thing? Right. So it's a little funny. I don't know that I have the best sample group for that because I know so many photographers. So I've, I've done like even the wedding sort of stuff that I've done has been for other photographers. So yeah, which is lucky. And I guess in some ways I don't feel like part of me is like, you're not qualified to do that. But that's actually a lot of what I've done. And then sometimes it's just um, like a passion project or like a sentimental sort of a thing where people want to preserve, you know, a memory or like um, I had a client who wanted to do these gifts for a book club that she was a part of. And she so we did sort of these pages where all the books they had read um, throughout it's like a 13 year running book club. Oh, wow. So yeah. So like all the books they read sort of appeared throughout the, the journal pages. Um, and she just was like, I just want to, you know, honor this, this group that we've had and this experience that we've all had together, which is really sweet. Um, did I, I don't know if I fully answered your question though. <laughs> I was just curious what you think, I guess I didn't, I'll ask it a different way. Okay. I was curious what you think makes people want to memorialize a group of photographs into a physical book. That is, I think it's too soon for me to answer that because I think a lot of it has been that they knew me and they were like, oh, that would be cool. So mm. you could do so that knowing it was a possibility or an option right, right. inspired and them to want to do it. Right. And that's, you know, exciting, super exciting um, for me. Uh, and I think that's something I'm trying to get at is like, what is the determining factor of like what, you know, what pushes people over the edge of, Oh, I really want to have this. Um, I did a, a smaller project for a friend who's, cat had passed Uh, yeah and uh and that was very much a case of you know we have we have all these photos that's definitely helping us in you know processing our grief and oh you know Krista maybe she could do something you know maybe she could do something better than just have us have these photos on our phone right and so I think it's it is a little bit of like memory the things yeah I think it's and I think it's time too. like the older you get the more significant the things that you you sort of know you might forget or like you realize like oh this was a really important time in my life or it was a really significant thing for photographers it's definitely a little bit of I need a way to show my work and an iPad is too expensive or like or in some cases like they still appreciate or like the tactile experience um, and they want to be able to show stuff that way. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, it just seems like in terms of what you were saying about it's time, I think I think people want to interact with their their images and their memories in a more physical way. It's like we're still at the point where people, I mean, I definitely grew up 
looking at slides with family members at holidays, you know, and I still love that color right. palette. Um, and then, you know, it, it wasn't just a snap it with an iPhone and look at it later. It was like, okay, here's okay. a print and we're going to frame it and we're going to put it on the shelf and there we're, we're going to see it and we're going to keep interacting with these images in a meaningful way. And I think we take more images and look at them less now. Right. Which is a strange I mean, it's, it makes sense, but I also wonder, like, how long it will take people to realize, like, oh, wait, this is maybe not the, this is not what the system is meant for. Like, we should, we should be doing the opposite of that. Or at least finding a way to find them, because there are so many, you can't go through them. And just to be able to go through and choose, like, this is the part of the day that I want to remember, or this is, this is a group of work that I'm proud of, and right. I want to save it, and I want to show it to people. Right. I think books are, in some ways, I think of books like across all genres, whether it's photography or written books or anything else, it's almost a way of like making something official, so to speak. Yeah, no, I love that as a, well, and it brings about a sense of permanence too, right? Like books are so, they go back so far and granted, I think scrolls happened before that, but there is a sense of like, you can carry this forward. It's a thing you can take with you. And in a lot of our, in a lot of our modern culture, there isn't that experience anymore. You know, like you don't have CDs anymore. You don't have TV. I mean, I guess people maybe still have DVDs, but that's, I think, becoming less and less. The only reason they have DVDs, I can say from personal experience, is when you have a show that you can't get because it's from... <laughs> the UK and you have to order the DVD on Amazon UK and then watch it on a region free player. That's how crazy we are. Wow. The show, the bridge, we needed to have season three and that was the only way we could get it. I'll put, I'll put the bridge in the show notes, everybody. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, but it is unusual. It is. I mean, it is. And it's an interesting question about like what, yeah, like how do we prioritize all this information that's available to us and all this information that we're constantly creating, you know, like, we're constantly updating stuff on social media and you know, somebody the other day who I follow on Instagram is a new mom. And she was asking, you know, do I really, she had like a grid of nine photos and she was like, do I really keep every variation of these, of this, these photos? And, um, and she's like, I'm not usually even that much of a photo person, but this seems different. And my response was like, well, don't just leave it on Instagram because you can't get that back. Like if you don't keep the digital file on your phone, you can't go back and download it from Instagram later. So like, don't just use that as your like platform for your kid photos. That was something that um, somebody said to me also, I think, and this was a while ago, but I think it still holds true, is we were talking about the difficulties of archiving digital photos mm -hmm. and how difficult it is to keep them because you know, let's say you have, like I have, had many computers and the systems mm -hmm. get out of date and you have, um, say, I used to have a bunch of G drives and mm -hmm. the, the cord that goes between them does not fit any computer that I have anymore. So you're constantly having to save all these files and then move them to different drives at work. And so I was like, well, how do you deal with this? And somebody said, honestly, the best way to archive something is to print it and to keep it 
in a safe archival box and to keep it safe that way because you can always rescan it later. Right. And it was amazing to me that with all the technology that we have, in some ways, print is the best way to keep photographs for the long haul. Right, right. And I read a headline the other day that said millennials buy more books than their like than older generations. And I was like, that's so fascinating because we have more access to more ways of reading than any previous generation. And we're still like, nope, I'll get the paperback. No, Uh, it's amazing. And then there's all of these bookstagram accounts on Instagram where people are making photographs of books that that's a genre of photograph now is, um, these photographs of people's, how they organize their bookshelves, what their books look like. It's like art made out of books. Maybe we could do a book of photographs of books. Then it would be like, (laughs) I think people would go for that, but it's like, there is something beautiful about the object. It's not going to go away. I don't think. Yeah. And there's, I don't, yeah. I mean, if you've printed in the dark room, I think, you know, like, you can make great inkjet prints, but there's nothing like a C print or a black and white darkroom print. Like those are beautiful and they're beautiful in a way they have a tonality. That's just, um, it is, it's one of a kind, like you it's not, it's not made to be reproduced exactly the same every time. Um, well, it's sort of and like this whole analog thing that's come up, I think. It's like I think about how people now want to buy records and mm-hmm. people are really getting into paper planners again. And I've got a traveler's notebook and all these people have right. those. And wanting that subtle gradation, mm-hmm. um, it's it's almost like, you know, there's always this pendulum between the like super futuristic and really techie. And now we're all sort of going like, I want a fountain pen and like rock <laughs> right. your handwriting challenge on Instagram. And, and it's like getting back into the really nitty gritty where it's like, oh, you can't reproduce this. This is somebody's handwritten thing. Right, um, right. And you're making one off books, right? You're not making many. Sometimes I do a set, um, but it's you, but yeah, I mean, inherently they're always going to be a little different or, you know, flawed in different ways. Um, try as I might to make them perfect. (laughs) That's not a realistic goal for the medium. Um, but that also maybe isn't the point. It's like that you can only get these this time, or if you're a part of this book club, you get this edition and that's it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And for me to go back and, you know, it's not like going to the store and just picking up an extra moleskin. It's like, right. I I have to make another one. It's like, well, that's a big process. So what do you think about um, journals? If I may, we go in, do you make your own journals or do you buy them? It's funny, you should ask. I don't remember if I told you now I feel like, oh, we're gonna do the really pluggy part of the show because uh-huh. I can't remember if I told you this or not, but I'm getting ready to launch an Etsy shop. Oh, you did not. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> now we're getting yeah. into it. Right. Specifically for journals. Um, I too have a planner problem, um, <laughs> which is a real serious issue when you can make your own planners and then you're just like up all night printing new layouts and, and then like, three weeks later being like, I hate this. No, it's like the tyranny of choice. Like when you can have whatever you want, how do you know you've hit the right thing? Exactly. Exactly. And in the end, like I go back to the simplest, like blank 
page, date at the top, here are the things I need to do today. So totally blank, not even like squared or dotted in the bullet uh, bullet journal tradition. That is a struggle because I have some paper that I actually don't even think you can get anymore. Um, oh, no, so of course you're in love with it. That always happens to me. <laughs> right. So I bought it in a in some in a ream, and I love the texture of it, oh. and I love writing on it, but I'm not gonna print like lines on it because that just you know that just felt wrong um yeah so it's like I use different notebooks for different things and it doesn't matter like I could be I could go to Target right now and spend a hundred dollars on some pre-made things and then still come home and be like now I will make my own too like I just it's a it's a compulsion I'm trying to control really no, I think there is. I mean, I was a compulsive bookmaker as a child. I don't, I don't think I've confessed this on the show yet. But um, I used to make empty blank books like a lunatic. Like I would fold up. I was not very sophisticated in my techniques. Maybe I should try to find some pictures of these. And I don't know if I'm ready to confess this. But I may put a few of them up. They were folded in half like construction paper with uh-huh. blank paper inside and then usually stapled down the side. Yeah. Not even like yeah. stapled like so that you have the staple in the middle, but like stapled kind of half holding them I shut. mean, that's pretty, pretty classic. That's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty good beginner book if you're looking for an intro. Yeah, it was very intro. And then I would spend a lot of time designing the cover and then I would rarely write anything inside. That's a, I think that's a common problem people have. Like you get this <laughs> nice, lovely journal or notebook and you're like, I'm going to ruin it if I write in it. Oh, yeah. That's the worst. Mm-hmm. Which is really funny. It's a shame. And one technique I learned from somebody, and I wish I could remember who it was. I feel like it might be Susanna Conway, so I'm going to give her credit. Thank you, Susanna. <laughs> is that if you have a journal that you're really intimidated about using it's to the best way to break through that is to paste something inside of it. Like whether that's photocopy, like cut something out of a magazine or that that feels inspiring or a sticker, or I like to photocopy a tarot card that I'm really into at the moment and then glue that on the insides. Then you feel like, okay, well I've already made a mark in it, so I might as well go for it. Right. Right. Um, I am obsessed with finding ways to repurpose half-used journals. Mm. So, like, anything, like, sometimes I'll, um, well, I got, I felt really crafty when I realized this. I'll, like, cut out the, because I have the tools to do this, but I would, you know, recommend anybody try it. I'll, like, cut out the used pages with an X-Acto blade or whatever, and then glue in a new end sheet. So, it almost, it's, like, it's, obviously been modified but it has like a a sort of an almost new feel um where it's like I got rid of all the garbage pages and at least it has some life left would you ever put new pages in like do you because I'm I'm thinking of how far can you of course I'm like nerding out on this how far can you go (laughs) into the journal right right before it hasn't you know, it's too far. Like, obviously, if you're like three quarters of the way through the thing, you're not going to cut that much out. But if you've even taken like a quarter of it out, maybe you could put another little ream in there and glue it in. Mm. I've never, I've never thought of that, but I'm 
I this like is my you're... challenge to you. <laughs> I'll have to. Now I'm like, where do I have a book that I can buy that? <laughs> you could totally sell that in the Etsy store too. You could have like moleskin-sized, you know, sub-in, like re-repurposed. I've done a, I've done one that I was really excited about where I um, sort of tipped a photo into the cover of a moleskin, like cut out a little mm. space for it and glued it. And I was surprised at how well that worked. And I was like, ooh, I should try to do this. So you cut out the front of the cover? Oh, and mm-hmm. stuck a photo in the space. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Do you have a photo yeah. of that? Maybe you could. I can. Hang, yeah, hang maybe on. if you have a photo of it, we could put it in the, the blog post so people can see what it looks like. Well, I have it on my shelf. I would have to take a photo and I can send it to you. That and then you can. That would be amazing. Everybody, don't worry. You'll get to see. All right, I'll remember that. Yeah. I'm going to type a note in Skype. Okay. I Yeah, I think this is very exciting because I think people have a, re- a relationship to books, be they art books or paperback books or whatever. And when you get into start getting into like modifying books, there's almost this like <gasps> crazy, like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. Like, it's a book. Like, there's all this stuff. Like, um, I remember reading the life-changing magic of tidying up and talking yeah. about giving books away. But there, and then there's of course this debate about would you ever throw away a book and like, no, you can't do that. And it's a sacred thing. And I wouldn't do it. I would donate it. But, but it just brings up the fact that it's an elevated object. Like we don't think of anything, of anything of like, if we have a pair of shoes that are like broken and the heel is broken and there's a hole in them and you don't feel bad right. about throwing them away. Right. Um, but, but there are books that, you know, you don't want to read anymore, aren't serving, and maybe you can't, nobody wants them if you donate them or whatever. I generally leave them out on the corner and then everybody takes them. But what if you could use them to be transformed into something new? Yeah, no, I love that idea. Um, And there have been a couple of, like I think of Austin Kleon, he does the blackout Mm. newspaper. Like you could do that with a book. And I think that Jonathan Saffron, for did a weird cutout book where it was like very crazy. I don't even know if I could describe it. Like every page had a few words on it. Mm. And so when it was all closed, you could read the whole page. But oh, like, cool. as you, yeah, as you to like turn the page, it would change what it said. Um, I have to get a, I have to get a copy of that. I'm embarrassed that I don't have one already. And like just writing in books. Spoken like like a true book collector. (laughs) Yeah, like just getting to junior high and the teachers are like, take notes in the margin. And you're like, what? That's absurd. But there is something really, I mean, when you look at books that have like that kind of marginalia in them, later on, they're so valuable for people to see. And it is like, also, I have a book of, um, I think it's Hafiz. Yeah, I have a book of Hafiz poetry. And Mm -hmm. I used to think it it had, I mean, I still think this a little bit, that it had kind of divinatory powers. And I would be like, Mm -hmm. oh, I need some help. And I'd use it sort of like a tarot deck. And I'd flip through and then I would read the poem and see what Uh the poem had to say to me. And I would put, then I would write the date up in the corner Uh of when I got that poem. And I love that book now. And I've done it for other people. So then I have their name and the date. And so that, that particular book has a lot of value that I wouldn't have had without those notes in there. Right, right. And how fascinating if something happened and somebody else got a hold of that and they're like, what is that? You know, like, what is this? 
Yeah, or if I gave it to a used bookstore or something because I was done right. with it, and then somebody got it, and we're like, what? Right. Now, this, with that said, I don't know, I have no real grounds for this one, but I feel like it's fine to write in books, but I am not okay with turning the corner down instead of using a bookmark. <laughs> Which is funny, because I turn corners down, <gasps> and I, I know, I didn't know that it was so scandalous. <sighs> But, like, to me, that is part of, like, the, like, I like that when I flip back through something and I'm like, oh, I stopped reading it here. I stopped, like, I I guess it feels like some level of ownership to me. Mm. Um, But I remember seeing a meme related to that of, like, you're, I don't know, the spawn of the devil are the only people who turn down book corners. And I was just like, what? This is a really hot debate topic. Actually, I think... Oh, when was it? I knew somebody who was on a podcast, which I believe was a dinner party download, maybe. But it had LeVar Burton of Reading Rainbow was on there Mm -hmm. and you could ask a question of LeVar Burton. And the question that he asked was about this very issue. Like, is it okay to turn down? Like, what if somebody turned down the corner of a library book, which is like even more aggressive? And mm-hmm. I believe LeVar Burton's response was, I will cut you. <laughs> <gasps> oh, jeez. I believe I that's what that. he said. That's how strongly he felt about it. And honestly, I hate to say it, I'm kind of with LeVar Burton. If it's a library book, it's, you know, you're weakening the structure of the book. However, there's something sort of charming about a little, like, heart or underlining a little something in a library book with in pencil like oh this really spoke to me mm-hmm. I don't know I have no grounds for this I mean my fiance thinks I'm insane and like a, a Nazi on this issue I, because he is a book corner folder I think it also might relate to how uh like organized you are to have a bookmark because that's something that I've never like that is the you know main thing is like I don't have a bookmark I guess I'll just fold this over. Or maybe I saw it and, you know, like maybe I saw a page folded and was like, oh, that's a good idea. I'll just do it that way. That's funny. I just feel like <gasps> it's like it's like somebody's cutting my my child. I don't know. It's very weird. It's I admit it's weird and probably pretty obsessive oh. compulsive. It's fast. It's fascinating. It's fascinating to be doing something that you just think is normal and other people are like, that's the worst thing ever. Um, now would you do it how uh, here's my question would you do it only in like paperback books or would you go as far as a hardback book because then you can usually use the flap or how would you feel if someone did it to one of your books that you made okay (laughs) yeah I would say paperback book no big deal, like no big deal at all. But I just looked over at my shelf and I was like, you know, I had this kind of nicer bound. It's not like hardcover, but it's um, a thicker cover and it's a design book. And I was like, what I, it has, you know, sort of nicer, shiny pages. I was like, would I fold those over? I don't think I would because the, the gloss would crack and then ah, that's, you know, like, a line. yeah, I guess so. Whereas like just a, you know, mass produced paperbacks, fold that paper over. It's okay. Like, whatever. But I've also heard of people like one of my teachers talked about her husband wouldn't even like crack the spine 
on a book, like on oh, a paper? I'm, I am not bad. I am not bad. Yeah, I don't crack like, the spine. No, I read, read it, it in kind of a like at a forty-five degree angle. <laughs> yeah, but there, yeah, no, it's true. There is a line. I wouldn't. I wouldn't treat like a photo book or a book that I. I if I found out somebody folded a cor- corner over in a book that I made, I would be a sad lady for the day. Like that would be a bummer. All right, I think we have we have solved potentially made some progress on this. Maybe you could make <laughs> in your Etsy shop you could also make cool bookmarks. That's a good idea. And they could have a little picture of a folded down corner on them, so that people who want to fold down the corner would be would be happy with them. They have yeah. I yep. Mm-hmm. I like that actually. That's funny. I could put photos on the bookmarks, and then it would be a cross cross promotion for my photography. Oh yeah, I'm into Got that. Thinking about marks all the time. <laughs> so, how soon are you launching this? Well, I guess it was the other podcast that I'm going to be on that I told. I arbitrarily set the date of September 15th. Yeah, and then nobody could see, but I made a really ridiculous face as I said that because I was like, "Can I really do that?" I guess well, we'll now find. You've out. said it on two podcasts. It's I know. Oh, terrifying. No, it has to, it has to happen. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to be great. Thanks. So everybody can not only have really beautiful photo books made, but you can have really awesome journals and then you can make, I'm now remembering the term and it was Susanna Conway, the idea of a paper altar in the front of your journal. Oh, That's what she calls I them. It's so cool. That. Yeah. I love that idea. That's awesome. It's like a mini vision board in your journal. Yeah. Yeah. I will sometimes like collage covers to things if I don't, if I like write something on the cover and I'm like, oh, it's not going to be that anymore. I'll just like stick a picture over it or make a collage over it. So, yeah. Excellent. Well, I feel like we've made excellent progress today discussing books as objects, the way we interact with them and why books still matter as physical objects, no matter how um, you're making them or how you're coming to them. And I'm always happy to talk about photography. And I think they are just as important as books based on my collection, certainly. And I'm just so glad you were able to come on. I feel so pleased and privileged to have been part of the conversation. That's I think it's exciting to talk about, too. So it's nice to get to nerd out on that for a little while. Yeah, I'm always up for nerding out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. I found them because I was a subscriber, so I definitely encourage you all to check them out. They focus on contemporary adult fiction with a, an emphasis on literary fiction from debut writers, so it's a wonderful way to find a new book um, because I know everybody loves to read. So check them out, musemonthly.com, and remember the code is SECRET00, all one word, all caps, to get 10% off your subscription. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.